instruction and direction of how we're to lead in the middle of the crisis. I love this, and here's another big idea that I want to stick to you this morning, is you can't control the future, but you can control who you are when the future comes. We can't control what the future is going to look like of our country. We can't control what maybe future family issues or problems or relationships may look like. We can't control what we're going to run into, but we can control who we are and how we respond in the middle of it. And so as we look at our first slide, I want to jump right in. And if you're taking notes, write this down. But first and foremost, we have to select our shepherd. And this is what Peter is about to instruct and give us. Look what scripture says. It says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Verse two says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Here's where he's going to get practical. And again, this isn't just for a pastor or um, a leader in a form of ministry, but this is how we're to be in our homes. This is how we're to lead in our businesses and in the workplace. He says, this is really the heart of the servant or of how you're to lead in a culture that's in crisis. It says, exercise oversight, but as you exercise it, don't do it under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but be eager, not domineering over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So right here we see he gives some do's and don'ts. He gives, if you want to be on the good list, not the naughty list of serving well, here's what it's to look like. And I pray we can take these words and apply it and adapt it into our family circles, even into our church. That is, this is a personal message because this is the basis of how I want to lead you, how I want to serve you, is apply these principles to our church and to my leadership, but ultimately it goes far beyond that. It goes into our families, into our homes, and into every relationship in our life. What's neat about this, again, is you see really two dimensions of leadership. Peter is an apostle or is an elder, and then he also addresses the shepherd. And when you think about the role of an elder, an elder will, let's say, define it this way, an elder will deal with the organization side of leadership. Um, a shepherd would deal with more of the relational side of leadership. I also want to use uh, my friend Jim as an example. Jim, who's been working hard in, in framing and building our facility over here, is he can frame and build much better than I can. If I got over there and tried to read the plans that he had and to do the job, it would take me far longer, it would cost way more money, and it would probably be done poorly. Now, I know that that's a strength that he has. So he's taking the organization side of the gift that God's given him and building. Now, if let's flip it where on the relational side, I know he's building the house, but where my role comes into play is to build the people that will be in the house. So you see the difference where if Jim were to try to do the gift or what God's put in my heart to do, it probably wouldn't be done as effectively. And so we see that God gives different roles and things in the word of God that were to model, not just in the church, but to take these principles into the home. And so Peter's really preaching to this of what uh, counsel is supposed to look like, what mentorship is supposed to look like, and what the structure of leadership is supposed to look like. And see, we see in the world around us that we see leadership done wrong. How many have seen leadership done wrong? It's everywhere and all over the place. 
And so unfortunately what happens is we throw the baby out with the bathwater and then you get this culture and this tension of where we just push against leadership, whether it's good or bad, just because we've had a bad experience with a leader, a boss, or someone that's been over us. And so if we can take heed what he said, and I wanna go through quickly what he brought out, the do's and the don'ts to have effective leadership in our lives. One, he said, you gotta exercise oversight. So at the bottom of it, we know that somebody has to lead. And if somebody has to lead, let's pray and believe that they can do it God's way and do it in a way where it's, they take responsibility. What is uh, someone who leads does? They have to gather the facts, gather the opinions, and then make the decision and proceed forward. That's what a leader does. Now, think of it this way. Anybody ever seen an unparented child? I know it's none of our kids here at GPC or ZCA, right? But anybody ever seen an unparented child? They do what they want. They say what they want. They get what they want at any time. And without a leader, or if that parent does not exercise oversight, it's like an unparent child where everyone's looking at them and saying, will somebody do something about this? And so we live in a world where, where leadership has been so watered down that really we don't want to offend anyone, so no proper oversight is ever exercised. But there, Peter is saying that there's a way that you can exercise it that can be healthy and whole and be productive. So he says we have to exercise this oversight that we, if we don't exercise oversight, ultimately you'll self-destruct. If I was not given oversight, I would have been my own worst enemy because I would have went the way I thought was well and not looked to the wisdom of my parents, family, or church. So he says exercise oversight. Number two, Peter says that we have to serve willingly as God would have you. In other words, being self-motivated eager. I am excited. I am ready to serve. I'm not doing it under compulsion where I feel obligated, but I see the opportunity in wanting to serve. I see the opportunity as a husband that I get to clean the kitchen while my wife goes upstairs and rests. It is an opportunity, not an obligation, right? This is the mindset that we have to have, and we have to train ourselves. I know you're watching online. That was for you, Bree. She's home with the kids this morning. And so we see that there's this eagerness. What, what is someone who's eager? What is, what, they say things like this. I've finished my work. Is there more work that I can do? Right? We're eager to, to stay in, to stay plugged in, to stay connected and being life-giving in the relationship, in the task. So we're eager to serve, not feeling that we're under compulsion or, compulsion or obligation all the time. He also says this, that we have to be an example to the flock. Would you agree that there's nothing worse than seeing someone teach something but doesn't live it? I think leadership is full of that. So I have the words or I've read the book and I can communicate it, but my lifestyle doesn't line up to what I'm teaching. If we're going to be healthy and effective leaders, we have to allow our conduct and our behavior to line up with what we're teaching. And so he's saying we have to be examples in our character. And ultimately, I wrote this down, it's not uh, in a spirit of perfection, but it's progress through imperfection. It's times when you fail that you learn from it and then you make progress in the right direction. No one's expecting, I pray no one's expecting me to be a perfect leader because I'm going to fail you at some point or in some way or in somehow. But ultimately, the heart posture of a leader should be When you mess up, you learn from it, you take the imperfection and you get back on the spectrum toward progress, not staying in failure, staying in offense. So he's saying it's being an example to the flock. 
What else does he say? Because leadership ultimately can be lonely at times. Parenting can be lonely at times. Single parents, you know the journey of parenting and how tough it is and the loneliness that can be associated when you're leading and you feel alone in the middle of it. So Peter's saying, in this journey, you're gonna feel lonely, you're gonna feel worn out, you're gonna feel tired, that there's bad news associated with it. But he's gonna get into that and give hope at the end here. But he says that we're to serve under the knowledge and knowing that there's an eternal reward of the chief shepherd. That ultimately, we're under shepherds, under the chief shepherd, and those we lead, our children, our churches, the, spot, the places and spaces that God's put us over are like sheep. We're the shepherd over that space, and then ultimately, we answer to the chief shepherd. That's why scripture says, everything I say and do in this position, there is double judgment upon my life, and I live in that healthy honor and respect to keep me in check, to keep check and balances in my life. That that is we lead people. We know that if God gives us a microphone or gives us a place of influence, that we will answer double for how we lead the people underneath us. That's why James says, don't be so quick to teach because there's weight with it. There's responsibility with it. You're over somebody's life and that's to not be taken lightly. So he's saying in this journey, it's gonna feel lonely at times. It's gonna feel hard. There's gonna be pressure, but understand that there's a reward that the chief shepherd will give you but ultimately, it's not just some monetary or tangible reward. The reward is Christ himself. Because it actually says when you get the crown or you get the reward, you will lay every crown in front of Jesus when you meet face to face with him. And so we have to keep Jesus as our focus when we serve. Because he's the one we're trying to be like and emulate and to model. And when you do that, you don't fall into this this. Uh, double standard humility where I'm focusing and trying to be humble. Therefore, I'm actually prideful in the middle of trying to be humble. You're trying to show everyone how humble or how good you are, where the flip side of it, you're actually being prideful in your humility. But when you focus on Jesus and try to be like Jesus, then the character and nature of Jesus will come forth in your life. So he says, uh, those are the do's. Then he gives the don'ts. He says, don't serve under compulsion. Anybody in here have a hard time saying no? Those that you do, this is a great time for you to say yes. I would say yes. I struggle with this for a season is you want to just, um, when someone comes to you, you want to help when they can. But under compulsion, we have to learn to say no and how much is too much or am I in the right season? Because if I take that on, am I going to take the, the priorities in my life? Are they going to suffer because I keep tacking too much on in my life? So we have to understand to keep ourselves in this healthy rhythm and not grabbing at every opportunity that comes knocking at our door. Though it be a good thing, a good thing in the wrong season or in the wrong place can actually be a bad thing for your life. So he's saying don't serve under compulsion. Don't serve under manipulation. Have discernment for leaders that are using you, not serving you. So you gotta know one, the heart of God. You gotta know what the heart of a leader is or you can fall under this curse of being under poor leaders that manipulate and use compulsion to try to get what they want out of you. He also says this, don't do it for shameful gain. So when you lead, your motive cannot be for personal selfish gain. We see leaders that do this. They they do it in a wrong motive or in a wrong way. It might look good, but when you look a little closer, something's just a little off. Who would, who would we look at in, in Jesus' 12 or Jesus' disciples? We would know Judas. 
as someone who followed Jesus' ministry, who heard every sermon, who saw every miracle, and was there along the entire way till the very end. What did Judas do? He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver for personal selfish gain. Think about Judas. He wasn't stupid. He saw Jesus as an income stream. He saw Jesus as, wow, he can, he can take two loaves and three fish and he can provide. I'm never going to go hungry. The motive and purpose of Judas was he saw Jesus as a way to get what he needed. And ultimately, the motive came out at the end when he uh, betrayed Jesus. But not only this, and hear this, this goes a little deeper as we see the motives and the purposes of Judas is that I think even worse almost than what he did is that those, for those three years, he, he acted like he supported the vision and mission of Jesus in the ministry. He was there present physically, but in his spirit, he was disagreeing and opposing it the entire time. I think we see this. We see this in the workplace, someone who's getting the paycheck, but you know they don't want to be there. You know they trash the boss or they trash the leader, but there's a benefit so they don't make the break of it. There's the paycheck. And so this is really who Judas was, is he would sit there but wouldn't agree but ultimately disagree with who Jesus was and what he was doing. It's crazy. And so Judas is an example of serving under shameful gain. Lastly, he says, don't be domineering. Don't be overbearing. Maybe you're an alpha male, and it's easy just to step in, and you, you focus on results over people. But ultimately, we know Jesus died for people, and Jesus' purpose was people, so people always have to be at the forefront over results. And so we want to be around leaders and be leaders that value people over results. So he's saying as you choose your shepherd, as you choose who is going to lead you, and ultimately how are you going to shepherd, how are you going to lead those around you, follow this, this playbook because you're going to be a, an effective leader and you're going to serve well if you lead this way. Secondly, he says, not only do you have to choose your shepherd, but you have to, to choose your flock or you have to ultimately find your flock. Who are you going to associate yourself with? Who are you going to, who's going to be in your inner circle? Who, what, what kind of church are you going to be a part of? What business are you going to work in? Who are you going to do life with? Who's going to be in close relationship with you? First Peter 5 says this, verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God, he quotes the Old Testament, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble says, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God. So at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I'm gonna throw myself under the bus because right here in the beginning, he says, those of you who are younger, and I think this is a great example of those of us who are maybe younger or even more so on a deeper level, younger in the faith, is that, when you see the crisis going on around you, or we see the crisis in our country, those that are younger, what can happen? You can get loud and you can get passionate about an issue or a topic, but there not really be wisdom surrounding that. The volume may be high, but the wisdom is low. And I think we can see that in the world around us that we're loud and we're talking about it, but where's the solution and where's the wisdom that should be coming in with it? And so he's saying, those of you who are younger, subject yourself to wisdom. 
get to know what the word of God says. And, and here's how he says you do it. Go talk with someone that's older. Get to know someone who's maybe been around or been a part of it or an, uh, a mentor, an elder specifically here. That's why I love the landscape of our churches. We're not just a young church. We're not just an old church, but we look, I pray, like heaven where there's those that are older, there's those that are seasoned, there's elders, but then there's those of us who are younger who can pull on the wisdom of the older or of the elder. It's a healthy recipe to be able to live life and to be a, a flock or to be a community that can honor God, honor one another, and honor those and honor uh, those we're, we're longing and seeking to reach. This is one mistake I made in my life too. I don't know if you have, but at times you can know the, the will of God and you feel purpose in it that God is leading me in this direction. But how many of you know it's not just about knowing the will of God, it's also knowing the season of God? That we can feel, for example, I am called to preach, so I'm gonna go preach in 15 minutes and just preach whatever I got. It might be the calling's right, but the season is not right. So many times we can get ahead of ourselves because we're sensing God and the will of God, but the season is not lining up with the will. And so it's important what he's saying here is as you, you feel passion for what God is leading into, you into, Take time to discern, is this the season or is it six months from now, a year from now, three years from now? Because you can miss it if you miss the season. Also this, is he talks about clothing yourself. Now, he's really speaking of clothing your soul, that we're called to clothe our soul in humility. And if you see in the scripture, Seth, if you put that back up, you would see that he says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. It's not saying that the Holy Spirit's gonna humble you, that God's going to humble you. He can, but ultimately the best way is is that you take the posture and we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And so he's saying if we're gonna navigate the crisis, humility has to be present. If you're gonna be able to navigate in the future, choose humility in the present and watch how you can navigate into whatever the enemy does and tries to throw into your plate. And so we all know we all live in somewhere on the spectrum from I'm either humble or I'm proud. And I find myself somewhere in the middle. There's days where I, I pride is leading me a little more. There's days where I, I'm, I know I'm walking in humility by my words, by my thoughts, by my deeds. That you can pick up pretty quick of where I'm being led by pride or where I'm being led by humility, right? We, we know when we're being led by pride. We know when we're being led by humility. So here's a little bit of what humility is. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. C.S. Lewis talks about this. It's not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. So I don't walk around with my head down and just showing everyone how humble I am or thinking I'm humble. It's, you know what? I'm gonna think about what this other person's going through, maybe the day they're having and how I can be a blessing to them versus just focusing on myself all day. So it's saying, don't think of yourself so much. Make room where you're not the center of the orbit, but allow other people to come in on that spectrum where you're caring, you're loving, you're serving, and walking in humility. Also this, humility permits you to accept help from God and others. Anybody ever been at the place where I don't wanna accept a handout, I don't wanna accept help? I'm just, I'm too prideful. I don't wanna show any weakness in my life. But humility is letting your own guard down and saying, I need a helping hand please help. The key is not focusing on your humility, but on God's. People who make humility's aim actually become proud. We talked about that. Jesus' humility, look at this. 
In Mark 10, 45, it talks about how Jesus served and he gave his life as a ransom. And there's this conversation between the disciples of, of who's gonna be the greatest, which is hilarious because you're asking Jesus who's the greatest and now you're trying to become the greatest when he goes and when he leaves. But here's what I love about Jesus and this is what he does is he doesn't rebuke them for asking it, he actually redirects it. And he says, if you wanna be the greatest, you're to serve that when you serve, that's how you know there's greatness that can come out of you and out of your life. And so again, Jesus, when he hears these things, isn't repulsed by it, but sees an opportunity to redirect it and say, if you wanna be great, if you wanna be humble, go and serve and watch what I can do through you. We also know this about pride. We know pride is demonic. Somebody say amen. Ultimately, pride is, is demonic and humility is godly. Pride pulls hell up. Humility invites heaven down. Pride is natural. You ever talk to a kid who just wants to serve or, or wants to help right off the bat? What is uh, the, the demeanor of a child? It's usually what I want, what I need, and if I don't get it, I'm gonna cry till I get it. So ultimately, pride is, natu is natural, but humility is a supernatural work of God that we need the Holy Spirit's help to teach us how to be humble. Pride is like a demon. Humility is the spirit that cast out the demon. Pride is how we war with God. Scripture says again, God opposes the proud, but humility is how we worship God. If you want to deepen your worship, walk in humility, serve, and see what God can do through that. Pride can humiliate you. Only you can humble you. Circumstances can humiliate but we have to choose ultimately to humble ourselves. That don't allow when you're humiliated. Anybody ever been humiliated before? You thought you knew the right answer and by God you were right, you were right, you were right till the very end you, you found out you were wrong. The humiliation and the shame comes and you kind of let it defeat you instead of learning the process that maybe God was trying to humble you that you don't know it all, you don't have all the answers but learn the spirit of humility because that's what can kick the demon of pride out of your life. Pride is a destination. You can park and live there all day long. Humility is you will never quite arrive. It's more of a direction. When you're walking in humility, you're constantly being led. You're constantly being directed. It's like he's, Jesus says in, in Peter, be holy as I am holy, right? We know we're never gonna experience in this life the, holy, the full picture of the holiness of God, but we're constantly moving in the right direction. We're making progress, we're making progress, we're making progress. And so he says that the key to this, if we're gonna be good leaders, if we're gonna lead and prepare for the crisis that's looming, the crisis that's coming, if we're not gonna be like Peter, where at the, at the hour when Jesus needed him the most, when his apostles needed them the most, he betrayed Jesus. He said, I don't know you, right? He said three times, I don't know you. Jesus even forewarned of it. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus knew that Peter was going to fail and actually tells him of his failure because he loved him and he was preparing him and ultimately was gonna do a work and give him a life lesson that he would never forget. We're gonna see here where then here in a minute at the end is Peter gives his final encouragement that he's actually gonna do a work of restoration. And Peter would know well of this because Peter was ultimately restored. When Jesus appeared to him before his uh, ascension, 
He said, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, that it was this process and this work of restoration that he was doing in Peter's life. So know this morning, and here's the hope you have, if you've made poor decisions out of pride, if your character is bent toward pride, if you can get on this path of humility, begin to serve, allow it to come through and out of your life, the Holy Spirit can do such a work of restoration and turn you, that spirit that's in you, from being a coward to full of courage, where Peter would go and he would preach. Thousands would be saved as the, as the preaching of God's word would come. Repentance would take place. People would be filled with the Holy Spirit. That again, Peter gives you and I hope because he failed so greatly, but God restored him and then used him greatly. Number three is this, Peter, as we go on, says we gotta look out for the lion. We gotta look out for our adversary. We gotta be aware that we are in battle and we are at war. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, and, and this speaks of where we were last week, but he adds on to it. He says, be sober-minded, be mindful. He says, be watchful. So he says, not only be mindful, but you gotta be watchful. And Seth, if you throw this, this slide up, 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But here's how we defeat him. It says, resist him, be firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So he's giving a statement saying, you gotta be watchful, I'm encouraging you, but then I'm also giving you warning. This is how Jesus works, this is how the spirit of God works. He says, you gotta be watchful, but then I'm also gonna pack warning with it. So he's giving this instruction that in the day of crisis, the lion's gonna be released. Can we look at our world and see our adversary, the lion, prowling freely, getting in the ears of those, being an adversary, keeping control, keeping dominion, keeping the people of God, the spirit of God, uh, uh, cowardly, keeping us from really rising up, fueling intimidation, fueling fear. And so we see the lion is loose. And so he's saying we have to be on lookout for the lion and be able to discern what is the lion and what is of God. So look what he goes on to say. He's preparing them for this time. He's saying that we have to resist because if we don't resist, we're gonna self-destruct. Your power to resist is powerful. Your power to say no is powerful. Your power to say yes is powerful. But you have to be able to discern to say, am I saying yes and no to the right thing or to the wrong thing. This is why we have to choose wisely. This is why we have to have the right shepherd because what does a shepherd do? He actually goes out before the people and keeps on lookout for if there's going to be lions, if there's gonna be wolves, that he takes the heart to protect the flock at all cost. That's why, again, you have to have the right flock. Do you have a hireling? Do you have a shepherd that's all about himself or herself or selfish gain? Or do they really care about you and your well-being? And do you feel that they would actually stand in front of the lion for you? That this is the heart of, of leadership that we're to be and to be under. I like this. When the crisis is looming, the lion is lurking. That's when we know he's at his best and when he's out and he's on the prowl. And so here's the hope we have. I know... It can be gloomy and doomy. We hear everything that's happening. Okay, choose your shepherd. Here's what we're not to do. Here's what we're to do. Choose your flock. But here's what we see is that ultimately the chief shepherd is for you 
and is coming for you. That it's not just about the leader or the shepherd in your life, but there is a chief shepherd who is far greater, who is far better, and is pursuing you and is coming after you. First Peter 5.10, look what it says. And he says, and after you have suffered a little while, and so he's saying again in 1 Peter 2 that you're going to have various trials. He says in 1 Peter 4.12, you're going to have fiery trials where it feels like hell is, is up on the fringes of your feet and of your heels. He's saying, but don't lose heart because there is a chief shepherd who is going to bat for you, who wants relationship with you, who is there for you in the middle of the trial. Look what he says. He says, the God of all grace. So there's unlimited amount of grace available for you. Says the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, number one, it says, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So there's four words. He's going to restore you, and this is my prayer for you. He's going to confirm you, he's going to strengthen you, and ultimately he's going to establish you. Could anybody use some restoration in your life? I know during this season of COVID, there's been great restoration in my heart. There's been things I've let go of. There's been things I've picked up that God's done a restorative work in me. And as he restores, then he's going to confirm. You're gonna see his hand and know it's his hand on your life. And then not only that, but then he's gonna strengthen you with all grace. He's gonna give you more grace than you had before. And then in the middle of all of that, you're gonna feel established. Your roots are gonna go down deep. You're gonna feel like you got foundation that you can build and that you can grow on. Verse 11, he goes on to say, to him be the dominion forever and ever. It says, by Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. He says, in all of this, you gotta stand firm in it. Verse 13 says, she who is Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. It says, greet one another with the kiss of love. Only Brianna is allowed to greet me with the kiss of love, just saying. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And so he gives this, and there's so much here, and I wanna just pull out a couple things. One, we see that in the middle of all of this, in the middle of crisis, in the middle of choosing the right shepherd, of choosing the right flock, of keeping your eyes ultimately on the chief shepherd, we see relationship being formed in this. Peter refers to uh, Silvanus, a faithful brother. He refers to his son, Mark, that we know we have an earthly family, but we also have a spiritual family that I know in my spiritual family, there's those that would go to bat for me, there's those that are praying for me, there's those that are closer than a brother and like a son, like Peter's talking about. That we have an earthly family, but we also have a spiritual family. And when you choose the right flock, you get that community, you get that family. And there's so many of us, we've experienced such bad earthly relationships or earthly families, the dynamic, that when you get in the family of God, you can have strength. You can be established. You can be confirmed that restoration can take place. You're walking in humility. They're walking in humility. You're extending grace. They're extending grace. It's a supernatural work that can take place in the family and in the kingdom of God. So he's saying in the middle of all these trials, you're gonna have to be plugged in to a spiritual family. You're gonna need it because the enemy is gonna isolate and where he isolates, he desolates. So he's saying you gotta have all of these these facets and factors at play in your life. You're gonna suffer, but God will give you the grace to endure it. You know, I've, I've preached this for years since I've been preaching. 
is that we can't have the mindset that everything's always gonna go well for us, that everything's always gonna be blessed. We're going to suffer in this life, but the word of God doesn't give us how to get the suffering out. He teaches us how to walk through it and how to suffer well. And actually, as we suffer, we can bring God glory. And so this is the place that Peter's speaking to us and preaching to us from. That, and I wanna go back to this, and Corey, if you'd come. We see this popularly quoted scripture, but he says, and cast all your anxiety, cast all your cares upon him. And so Peter's revealing, like the gospel of John, which has a lot of uh, similarities to it, is he's revealing that you have a father who actually cares about you. So in the middle of your suffering, of your various trials, your fiery trials, is maybe you've experienced a bad leader, you've been in a bad flock, and you're trying to get established and confirmed and restored and all of these things is that you're gonna build up some anxiety in the middle of that. You experience that in your relationships, some, some complex anxiety? Well, he's saying in the middle of the hurt and the pain, the perils, the trials, everything, that you have a father who's saying, you can cast every care and every anxiety upon me. And when you do, there is hope, there is help, and there is healing that will be deposited into your life. You know, at the beginning of this whole pandemic, pandemic, I experienced anxiety like I had never before, be honest with you. I think I've shared this, but at one point, it was, it was so bad, the anxiety was hitting me, the eye, my eye just would constantly ch- twitch. Bree thought I was always flirting with her, but no, my eye was twitching. <laughs> and it was just stress. It was mental stress. It was feeling like I have to do everything on my own and figure out every problem in a lot of different areas. The stress of what is the church gonna look like, the stress of we're in the middle of a building project, what that's gonna look like. Because when you care deeply, you, 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 you can get anxious about things. You can get anxious about the future. So I was really struggling with this. And I can remember one point, it was, it was bad. I was struggling and uh, just was like, okay, God, I'm gonna cast my cares on you. I can't figure this situation out. I can't figure this relationship out. And so I remember, I said to myself, I'm gonna practice the posture of humility. This is what I would encourage you. It worked for me, I love you, I pray you can try this. But I remember just getting down on my knees and I opened my Bible to 1 Peter and I just said, it says to cast every care. So right now I cast every care cast every hurt, I cast the stress, I cast wanting to please, I cast every anxiety, I cast every part of me that's weak, I cast my pride, I cast it and I give it to you, the chief shepherd, a good shepherd, who knows, who cares, and who can restore, who can establish, who can strengthen. I tell you, as I got up from that moment, It was like the Holy Spirit. You ever been in those times where you just experienced a supernatural peace? And it was just the peace of God that surpassed all understanding. In that moment, it's like it jolted me and it shot me. And I stepped up out of that full of strength, knowing that I don't have to carry the pressure or the weight on my shoulders. And there's so many complexities to our life. How are we gonna make it financially? Am I gonna have a job to go back to? Uh, Am I gonna be able to pay the bills? What are my relationships gonna look like? This family relationship's going on. This friendship is, is in a rough place. 
And he's saying in the middle of all of this, you have to cast your anxieties. And when you do, he's going to receive them and in turn give you all the grace that you have need of. If you stand, I want to pray for you this morning. I want you to picture whatever anxieties you have, whatever cares that are burdening you. You have a father that's available. You have a chief shepherd that's here who wants to serve you, who wants to bless you, who wants to care for you. If you bow your head, Father, I thank you right now that the chief shepherd is here, that your goodness is here, your grace is here. God, that where stress may be high, where anxiety may be high, where purpose may feel low, where we don't know our calling may seem cloudy, hope deferred has made our hearts sick. We've given up trying. We've given up caring. We've given up what's the point. Father, I pray right now that the Spirit of God would break that stronghold and break that adversary down in the name of Jesus. I pray that you break through and you speak identity. You restore, you strengthen, you establish, and you confirm right now in the name of Jesus. Heal our minds. Heal where we've had wrong thoughts about who we are and who you are. Heal our heart. We want to cover our soul in the garment of humility where we can bow low and receive all grace that is available toward us. Father, I thank you for what you're doing. Strengthen this flock. Strengthen our pastors. Strengthen our leadership. Strengthen our directors. Strengthen what you're doing in this house so that we can bring healing to brokenness. We want to serve well. We want to be well. Do a work in our souls right now in the power of your presence and in the power of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father, for what you've done, what you're going to do. Strengthen every marriage. Strengthen every relationship. Father, I thank you that we're going to choose wisely. And when we choose wisely, we're going to see your hand, your blessing, your provision on the other side. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. 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 Well, you can be seated. I pray you've been blessed, and I pray you dig into 1 Peter.